loving one another grows best in clarity. And so I want to read from uh, John chapter 13. There's a little bit of a ring. I'm not sure if you can hear that, but uh, John chapter 13. Uh, and I want to share where Life Center, we are oh, perfect. I want to share where Life Center is going next. And so in Cornwall, uh, Canada, here in Orleans or online, if you have your Bible, John 13, let's dig in. It says, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Verse three, he, Jesus, he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Pause. Sometimes you can only see God at work looking this way, not this way. This is what we see. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except his feet but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That's Judas Iscariot. And that is why he said, not all of you are clean. Another pause. He still washed Judas's feet. And when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garment and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. That is really important. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For truly I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, which would have been groundbreaking at the moment that Jesus said this nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you, knew these, if you know these things, blessed are you, not if you give mental assent, not if you say amen, not if you know that it's in the Bible, if you actually do this, if you love one another the way Jesus is loving, the way he is giving the example, blessed are you if you do them. And so a brilliant aspect of God is the clarity with which he leads us. In the Bible, when it comes to learning how we are to love one another or the one another's of scripture, there are about 59 specific ways that the scriptures say with absolute clarity how we are to love, serve, honor, prefer, challenge one another. And we're gonna look at 11 this summer, one each and every week in preparation for where it is that God is leading us this autumn. But I want you to note that one of the things that is remarkable about, remarkable about Jesus is he, there is no gap in Christ between what he said and what he did. In all of our lives, there is a gap. 
between what we say and what we believe and what we walk out perfectly. There's a gap in all of our lives. The more unhealthy we are, the greater the gap. The more we become like Jesus, the smaller the gap gets. The goal of every Christ follower should be, at the end of my life, I want the gap between what God's word says I am and what I believe I am to be as small as possible. I want the gap between how I love, lead, and serve others and how I say I should do it and how I do it to be as small as possible, as razor thin as possible. And so for Jesus, though, there is no gap. He does this perfectly. He washes the disciples' feet and then asks them if they understand what he has done. And this is important, in particular if you have title, because if you have title, and title can be, I'm a husband, I'm a wife, I am a manager, I'm a supervisor, I'm a whatever, 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 title. Jesus showed us and he said to his disciples, I am master and I am Lord. This is precisely whom I am. And then he said this and then he showed this, that taking on the posture of a servant does not change the position that I have with my father. When you and I, well, what if I get down here and serve and people step on me? If who you are is from God, then how people treat you doesn't change how your father sees you. But when your identity is rooted in an inferior thing, such as a position or a title, oftentimes it can become the reason why we will not assume this position with one another. We will not serve people that we believe we are higher than, better than. We won't. And this is what Jesus shows us. In Mark chapter 12, verses 30 to 31, the Shema, which is all through the Old Testament, which means to listen and to obey. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. In other words, go all in on loving God and then love your neighbor as you love yourself. But then in this particular instance, as Jesus washes their feet, he says something new. He says, a new commandment that I give you. And he is talking, remember, to his disciples. He's not talking to the crowds. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Crowds, unbelievers, people who are not like you whatsoever, who believe differently. Yeah, we gotta love them. But Jesus said to those people who are Christ followers, I, there's a specific way that I am calling you to serve and to love them. And he said this, I want you to love other followers of Jesus. I want you to love other disciples the way I love you. How many of you have at least one Christian in the world that bugs you? <laughs> church, the church at large is failing this new commandment. And the world knows we're failing at it. Part of the critique that we're receiving from the culture is I can't distinguish the difference between the way I am loved here and the way you're supposed to love. It's an honest bit of feedback. And so Jesus says this is new and he expects us as his followers to learn how to serve and love the way he loves us. I wish he would have said like love others the way that they love you. Because some people don't love you at all and it's like great, I don't have to love them at all either. It's not what he said. I wish he did, but he didn't. 
And then he concludes saying, when you and I love one another the way that God loves us, he commands a blessing. How many of you love, whether you're here, can add a Cornwall or online, how many of you love being blessed by God? There is a blessing when we posture ourselves as servants and love others the way Jesus loves us. And finally, he makes it equally clear something that's really, really important. And this is what I want to hone on as we dig in. When you get clarity on how God wants to use your life, you need to have an all-in yes in that area. But wherever you have an all-in yes, you also have a clarified no. And the clarified no is as important as your all-in yes. It all has to get done, but you can't do it all. It all has to get done, but if you try to get it all done, you're going to burn out. You're going to get worn out. And you're going to look at your brothers and sisters and go like, time out! Could you please help? In church, the greatest misunderstanding to what the Holy Spirit is actively doing is a church that has 20% of people doing what 100% of the people should be doing. It is a testimony of a lack of moving of the Holy Spirit and our understanding of spiritual gifting, spiritual purpose, and spiritual calling. And so we should not lower the bar. We should call every one of us to be a New Testament church. Raise up. And so in this instance, as Jesus is washing their feet, I read it a moment ago, in classic Simon Peter form, he says, no, 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 Lord, um, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus says to him, well, if I don't wash your feet, you have no share of me. Then he responds by saying, not only my feet, but also my hands and also my head. And Jesus, while he is serving, says to Peter, no, no, I'm not going to take the water and dump it on your hands and your head. No, I'm not going to do that. That is not what I'm doing. Jesus has clarity of vision to what he's doing, which gives him a clarified yes, but equally a clarified no. Then he says, the one who does not need to wash except for his head and feet, they're completely clean. In other words, that's not what I'm doing here, Peter. I'm not going to do what you want me to do or your misunderstanding that it is that I need to do. Some people in life will only ever want you to serve them because they don't want to grow up. And sometimes love looks like saying yes and other times love looks like saying no. Always love, but no. Clarity on how you serve provides useful boundaries, in particular when other people want to broaden the scope. And this is what Peter does. Okay, wash my hands, wash my head, wash my feet. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. This is what I'm doing. Do you understand what I'm doing? It's a beautiful thing. Now, there are three postures that you can have today. Again, whether you're here, Cornwall, Canada, three postures that can hinder us from serving one another well. And the first is, I, said, I highlighted it a moment ago, it's position. If you see yourself above others, uh, you'll struggle to serve. And that can be on the basis of gender, that can be on the basis of income, that can be on the basis of ethnicity, that can be on any different facet. Well, I have more experience, therefore I won't serve. No, 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 no. If you see yourself above others, this will hinder our service. 
purpose. If you are unclear on how you're being invited to serve, this is also an issue. A quick little teaching here, the two primary ways people are unclear about what it is that God is asking them to do, number one is ignorance. I really don't know, and that's okay. Turn to the person beside you, whatever campus you're at, and just say, it's okay not to know everything. Go for it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just because you have access to the information about everything doesn't mean that you should be an expert in everything. It's okay not to know everything. And so sometimes it's like in a season of life, I was once clear how God wants to use my life, now I have no idea. That's okay. That's a beautiful place to be. I don't know, God, how you want to use my life. Now where you go with that is important, but that's one part. But there are some of you, so some of you just literally don't know, and that's a place of discovery, and that's okay. But there are others of you, hmm, you know precisely what God has asked you to do, you don't want to do it, and so you're making it more complicated so that you don't have to walk in obedience. And that's different. Like I've met with people who wanted to meet with me, and they clearly know what God is asking them to do, but it's going to mean maybe a reduction of income. It's not that they don't want to do it, or they're unclear of what to do, they just don't want to count the cost. So they make it complicated. You with me? So that's, that also happens. And last is, um, if you have a people-pleasing heart, um, you can be tossed to and fro by trying to please everybody. So not living with a clarified yes and a clarified no. So that can be an issue. Do you know the same is for every local church? Including Life Center that each church has the same commission and command. In Matthew chapter 12 verses, or 28, um, Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples. So the one thing that every church should be doing is making disciples. It's the one thing Jesus gave us to do. It's the one thing. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and I'm gonna be with you right till the end of the age. But your part in disciple making is not the same as somebody over here. So you may be on the evangelism side and you may be on the shepherding side. You may be on the healing side and you may be on the hospitality side. You may be on the side of encouragement and you may be on the side of casting out a demon out of that person. Turn the person beside you and say, I don't want that one. <laughs> <laughs> The cross of Christ compels you. God has designed the body of Christ to be beautifully diverse, yet harmoniously in making disciples. In order for us to make disciples, we need then leadership in the church of apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, unifying how it is that God is at work. So every church has the same commission, every church has the same command, love the Lord your God, love others, including those who don't know Jesus, and those who love Jesus, love them the way Jesus is loving you, which every one of us has a gap that we want to close, okay? So Life Center, we have taken now 12 months to listen, to do our best to love, which we're always gonna fall short, before we exercise some leadership. And now we need to begin to lead. And here's all we know, that, if we as a church say yes to doing everything that you as a church believe that needs to be done, we will be a mile wide and a centimeter deep. It's all gotta get done, 
but how it's gotta get done is critical. And so to just talk about where we're going as a church, I need to take you back a little bit, and then I need to take you forward, so stick with me. First, I need to take you back to the 1990s and the 2000s, the early 2000s, because I know now we're in the 23 of the 2000s. It's really weird how the 70s, 80s, and 90s are like defined decades, and the 2000s is just this blur of two decades. I don't know how that works, but it does. In the 90s and the 2000s, the church in the West, in Canada, the United States, and I would include Europe, the church in the West made three shifts. It took a shift towards purpose, it took a shift with an eye towards evangelism, and it took a necessary adjustment towards relevance. In other words, that if you walk into somewhere and has no relevance to you, oftentimes you walk out going, that doesn't make any sense to me, I, have no, I don't see how I fit there, I don't, have, I don't see it has any relevance to my life. And so the church made these three shifts through the 90s and the 2000s. And just like in your private life, every church is the same way. There is no church that gets up one day and says, today's the day we're gonna get off course. It just happens. It's the same in my life. I never get up one day and say, today is the day I'm going to begin to gain weight. And never get up. I have never got up and, and thought that. But I just, rather than eat the carrot, I eat the donut. And the next day, rather than take my multivitamins, I take multi-jujubes, right? And, like, and then in time and over time, my decisions show up to a culture that I have created that now needs some work. Well, the same, in a sense, is true with churches. No, no leader or pastor, I don't believe, unless they are absolutely dichotomous, gets up and says, today's the day I'm gonna blow apart my marriage. Today's the day I'm gonna blow apart my leadership. But they may click on something one day that they know, don't click that. And after they click, they don't confess, they cover. And after covering, you begin to live, like you begin to delude yourself that I can actually live and lead this way. And then all of a sudden, rather than confessing, you get caught and now the collateral catches up, okay? So the same can happen with churches. So while we were making the shifts towards purpose and evangelism and relevance, all really good things, the church also experienced two distinct moves of God. And revival is an intensification of what the Holy Spirit is doing daily. So if in Canada, ones and twos and fives and tens are coming to Christ, revival is in the same period of time, fifties and hundreds and thousands come to Christ. If daily people are being set free in revival, you see hundreds beginning to be set free. And so we saw a move of the Holy Spirit in the 90s out of Toronto, which anchored people into a re-understanding of what God's love is all about. Because he said, abide in my love, abide in me, apart from me, John chapter 15, you can do nothing. Doesn't mean you can't go out and live a wonderful life, but if your identity is not rooted in Christ, it is rooted in something else, you will not produce kingdom fruit. You produce wonderful wood, hay, and stubble, but they are all temporary things. You can make a living, but you cannot live the life that Jesus provides, okay? So this is what we see, a move of God that anchored us into the love of God. But then there also came a move of God that restored not just the love of God, but the holiness of God to the church. And so a call to repentance, a call to know who Jesus is. And we saw thousands upon thousands 
of people. Started in an epicenter in, in Pensacola, Florida. Went all around the world. Saw thousands upon thousands upon thousands of followers of Jesus come to know Christ or return home and then re-engaged in purpose. Now, simultaneously, during these times, there was warning about the West becoming much more atheist and agnostic. And history has shown that actually didn't happen. Atheism and agnosticism in Canada hasn't grown. Here is what has grown, and it's actually quite insidious, different. How many of you know that if someone comes right up to you and says, I hate you, that's pretty easy, easy to figure out what to do. Let me try to discern what it is that you're saying. There's no discernment needed. I hate you. Why do you hate me? Tell me all the ways you hate me. Those are probably not helpful questions, by the way. But it's rather clear. But if somebody comes up to you and says to you with their words, I love you, but everything inside of them is hate, that's confusing. And so what we see in the world of the church today is that the secular culture that Canada is did not come and oppose the church directly. It just offered alongside of the church what used to be reserved differently on Sundays. It just offered choice. So now on Sundays, you can go to church or you can go to the mall. You can bring your kids to church or you can enroll them in sports. You can build this community or you can build this community. You can be a part of church, or you can make faith really, really individualistic. Like, I don't really get much out of church. I don't really like the songs that they sing. They never sing the songs, actually, that I want to sing. And there's much better preachers on the internet than that guy. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> you know what you can't get on the internet that you're getting right now? Touch the person around you. Locality, a human being, right there. Turn the person beside you and go, I love you. <laughs> and then follow it up with, and you bug me. <laughs> we need one another, loving and bugging one another to grow to be more like Jesus. Awesome if you're online too. So anyways, now you have choice alongside of it. So in Canada, here's what began to happen. The culture that we live in began to shape your behaviors. Didn't talk to you about your beliefs. Your behaviors. Of course you can be a Christian and do this. Of course you can be a Christian and do that. Of course it doesn't mean this. Of course it doesn't mean that. And all of a sudden your behaviors are begin begin, being shaped. And then simultaneously, as this began to advance within Canada, there was now another thing that happened that was unexpected. We as the church got caught for a season discipling at levels one, two, and three, which I would describe as God loves you and has a plan for your life, which is absolutely true. The problem is our culture didn't live at the same level as behaviors. They began to actually talk about differing beliefs. So our culture simultaneously began to disciple on questions seven, eight, nine, and 10. If I talk in this service about life, where does it begin? Who's the author of life? Am I talking about rights, men, women's rights? Or am I talking about scripture? What are we engaging? 
you did it, not me. (laughs) If we talk about individualism, every data point shows the kids are not all right. Every data point that you can define who you are exclusive to everyone else, but what comes on the back of defining who you are exclusive to everyone else by only looking inside, the downside of that is you have no exterior boundaries. What you have then is an elevation of fear and anxiety. The number one way to destroy a child is to remove all boundaries. So what am I talking about now? Something political or am I talking about something biblical when we talk about sexuality and gender? Beliefs. And these are level seven, eight, nine, and 10. These are not God loves you and has a plan for your life. These have depth to them and nuance. And so once your behavior and your beliefs are formed by culture and no longer by Christ, formation follows naturally. And so simultaneously, while this was occurring, the Holy Spirit did something that if I was the Holy Spirit, I would have done the exact opposite. Like, let me give you an example. If you invite Lori and I over somewhere and we are fighting in the car, I promise you, when we exit said car, we will put on a show that we're good. (laughs) Number one, to spare you of dealing with whatever it is that we're working out, because that's just not your issue, that's ours. Right? Anybody here ever been in a relationship with someone, you're absolutely having it out in the car and you step out of the car, how you doing? I'm doing great, how you doing? Oh, man, you guys just look like you're so in love. Oh, we're in something. Yeah, 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 we're in something. Man, you got a lot of feelings for Lori. Yeah, a lot. Deep and tense in this moment. You do it with your kids, too. Come on. Companies do it as well. Anybody here ever buy a car? Did they take you through the garage or the showroom? Because if you went through the garage, you'd go, I'm not buying it, I'm not buying it. Why is every car in here the car I want to buy? They don't tell you that stuff. But God is nothing like the world. So while the church was at its weakest, you know what the Holy Spirit decided to do? He decided to take out his iron and begin to iron out spots and wrinkles. So the Holy Spirit began to move at the Catholic Church and began to expose priests who treated children in a way that Jesus was actually quite clear that it is better if you have a millstone hung around your neck than face me with what you've done to a child. So do we need to have a conversation about sexual ethics and exposing kids to things not just perhaps on the transgender side but also on the religious side? Let's have, a, let's have a statement of belief that exposes kids to things that are sexual when they need to be innocent. Let's have an ethic as Christians across every board. So if you're going to protest one and ignore the other, let's grow up. Let's grow up. Because Jesus would. How many of that's like cell level seven, eight, nine, and ten? Not one, two, and three. But then where do we need to get this ethic from? Our compassion? No, we need to get it from God's word. So the Holy Spirit began to expose things in the Catholic Church, in the United Church, that missionaries came and didn't just bring Christ, they superimposed their culture on cultures that were not the problem. 
And so symbols carry meaning. As a Christ follower, I understand what I believe when I look at the cross. But I also understand if someone looks at the cross through the lens of a residential school, I have grace to have a conversation with what people who bear the name of Jesus did. Yes. Symbols carry meaning. And Jesus alone redeems all things. But sometimes we got to engage these hard, difficult conversations together. So the Holy Spirit begins to highlight things because he wants to heal leaders. He wants to heal pastors. He wants to heal denominations. He is just doing what he said he was gonna do. I'm gonna work out spots and wrinkles. And he does it individually and he does it in his church. And again, if I was the Holy Spirit, I wouldn't. I would present like when we were at our weakest, put your best foot forward. But he begins to apply heat when you're at your weakest so that we will as a church return to God and not go the direction that we want to keep going. God in love corrects. And so there are two steps, just two steps that I want to highlight because we believe that everything we need to rise to this moment, God has already provided. And everyone that we need next and everything that we need next, God will provide on the other side of our obedience. And a relevant church is still an important thing but we need discipleship on a deeper level than merely relevance provides. Life Center, let me be very, very clear. If we as a church only stay at the level that we are at, we may retain who is, but we will not reach the next generation. And if we do not reach the next generation, that is us saying no to rising to the grander purpose that God has for us. It is not just that you are in church, it is that you leave the church healthier, better, and stronger for the next generation because he's the God of Abraham, he's the God of Isaac, and he is the God of Jacob. He is an intergenerational, intercultural God. So the next two things I say with love, number one is we need to rethink the idea of being a Christian without being disciple. I prayed a prayer once, perhaps. You may as also just said words. Because if there was no repentance change or following after, then you may have just said words. And I'm not trying to sow insecurity to justification. I believe that someone's last breath, they can turn to Jesus and say, remember me. And they are just as in if I follow Jesus the rest of my whole life. So I'm not harming justification. I'm just saying within Canada, we have divorced decisions for Christ from discipleship in Christ. And we are reaping the whirlwind of immature spirituality masquerading as all the same. And it isn't. It's not. We don't all have to be at the same level of following Jesus. We just all have to be following Jesus, wherever level you're at. And it's not like it's like, it's not levels this way. I already said at the beginning, it's levels this way. How do you tell if you are really mature? How well you serve others, not how well they see you. Well, I'm really mature in Christ. I have been serving Jesus for 25 years. Then that should be evident in how we love and serve the broken, the lost coming in the way that Jesus loved and served and helped us grow. So we gotta rethink this a little bit as a church, and we are. I wanna talk to you for a minute about the Bible. We're gonna put it out on our socials later on today, and you, could, you can subscribe to it. Maybe we'll see if we can put it in our email newsletter, but definitely our socials. But in 2022, which is not that long ago, Cardis and the Canadian Bible Society released a study looking at Canadians and the Bible, and it's shocking. 
Here's a few things it revealed. Only 40% of Christians have engaged the Bible at all in the past year. So we have deeply formed beliefs, call ourselves Christ followers about an ever-changing culture, yet six out of 10 of us have never read the scriptures to have that belief. So we know it's wrong, but we haven't read that it's wrong, but we just know it's wrong. That's a problem. Like in any other subject, that's a problem. Like if I walk into university and I haven't read the textbook at all and I'm like, yeah, I just know everything in this class is wrong. Well, maybe read the textbook and have an educated idea of what it is that we're talking about. Okay. Of those who read the Bible, 49% only read a verse a month. That's not a lot, man. This is equal parts heartbreaking and befuddling to me. Only 44% of churches use the scripture at all on Sundays in Canada. Six out of 10 churches don't crack the Bible, and if they do, they do it in a self-centered way, not a Christ-centered way. This is how God will serve you. Mm, He will, but this is how we honor and serve God. 23%. Anybody here ever been in a life group or a small group and talked to other people about the Bible? I want you to know that in Canada, that you're a statistical anomaly. Only two out of 10 Christians talk to other Christians about the Bible. It shows you how individualistic faith has become, which is the complete antithesis of everything in the scriptures. 33% engage the Bible, you know, as a family, you know, at at least once a month. So not because of this, we made this decision a little bit ago, but Life Center, starting September, we are switching from topical preaching, and over the next three years, we're going to go through every passage of Scripture verse by verse together. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, You're clapping now. Wait till we heal Leviticus. Church attendance is going to be hard, man, that month. So we are going to set up Bible reading plans to go through together. And we're also going to unite that with spiritual disciplines. You know what our first spiritual discipline we're going to practice together? Sabbath. You are not made to work 24-7. You are not created by God to hustle, 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 hustle. You are created by God to be holy, and hustle is going to destroy some of your souls. We got to learn what it means to pause. It's all got to get done, but again, it's not got to get done by you. You got to learn, and I got to learn how to stop working and trust that when we stop working, God is still at work. Sabbath. So becoming heartstrong together, we need kids. We have kids material, we got student material, we got adult material, which of course includes young adults, every generation. But we need groups for kids, we need groups for students, we need groups. We can't do it all, which is my next point. We can't do it all, but again, but it's all gotta get done. In season one, we're gonna read Matthew to Acts. That's gonna be fun. Again, like I told you, Leviticus, different. But you're gonna see how rich and beautiful it is. We're going to read Matthew to Acts and we're going to practice the discipline of Sabbath because us becoming more like Jesus is what your family, your friends, and our church and our city needs. We cannot pretend to bear the name of the living word and be totally ignorant of the written word because they is the same thing. 
So lastly, though, we are also at a crossroads as a church, and here's what it is. Again, I said it three times and maybe four. We know it's all got to get done. We know that. But we can't do it all. We cannot start a ministry for everything that needs to get done. Here's why. Churches that start more and more and more ministries, here's the temptation. They will grow numerically, but they will not grow in discipleship. The more ministries a church launches, the more diluted discipleship becomes because activity does not equal accomplishment. Being busy does not equal Christ-likeness. So the church uh, life center, as a church, we don't need 50 ministries. Do you know what we need? 1,500 ministers. And that's exactly what you are. So yes, we're gonna do things for kids because everything in the Bible is for every believer, but it's not necessarily age appropriate. We shouldn't be teaching David and Bathsheba in grade four. <laughs> like this is just, like David and Goliath, by the way, is a terrifying story if you were in grade three. And David cut the head of the Goliath. He did what? Like, it is for everyone, but then there are age-appropriate things. Man, there are stories like women take a tent peg and drive it through a man's head. And some of you are like, yeah, I want that story. <laughs> okay, great. I'm just saying. So we need kids, we need students, we need young, we need some of you who are going to lead things for young adults. We need some of you who are going to lead things for couples who are engaged. We need some of you who are going to lead things for those who are recently married or empty nest. Or we need those men who got a passion to work with those who are struggling with addiction. But again, if the church starts a ministry, then every ministry needs a professional. And here's what happens in church. If you have a professional over every single ministry, the ministers defer to the professional rather than be the ministers that God has called us to be. And so sometimes we have to have a clarified yes, but also a clarified no, we're not going to do that. It needs to get done. And we are not going to do what God is asking you to do. But we are going to equip you to do what God has asked you to do, not do for you the very thing that God has asked you to do. Turn the person beside you and go, hmm, I don't like that. <laughs> so our vision has never been growing ministries, it is growing people. And so again, our heart is to make lifelong disciples who make a Jesus-sized difference in all of it. It's all gotta get done. And God will give different burdens to different ones. And we can unify a singular path that we walk down discipleship while we flesh this out in different stages and different seasons of life and different issues that we struggle with what somebody else may not struggle with. This is not too complicated for the early church, so it shouldn't be for our church. Church, what we need is the fullness and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It's what we need. So Cornwall, Canada, Orleans, and online, let's engage in being heartstrong, becoming heartstrong together. Let's grow by being obedient to what God is asking you to start, to continue, or maybe discover. And let's be servants everywhere we go, in our church and the city. Let's love our neighbors well. So this summer, we're gonna lean into the scriptures, teach us how to love one another. In short, let's keep growing together with Jesus to make a difference in this remarkable city. Amen?